it's so great to be back with you, church family. Um, we, my family and I, missed worshiping with you last week. You know, uh, when sickness hits your home, it's always uh, always a fun time, right? <laughs> um, no, it's not. Uh, but it's a, it's um, it also when you are away from your church family, um, it helps you appreciate what you have. And I'm just so thankful for you. Um, and thankful to see you and to be encouraged by you today. Uh, one of the things that we have pressed in this year um, and, and tried to emphasize this year in our church family is the fact that uh, we need each other. And uh, what um, sometimes when we step back and we, we have things going on in our life and we miss a Sunday or we miss fellowship or something like that, we, we, we step back and it's like, wow. I have a need in my life that is being met continually by my church family. And then when you miss them and you don't see them, you realize that and it makes you appreciate that. So I am thankful for you. We'd be much in prayer for, for Phil and Candace and, and, and Jack and Lucy and, and, and you. Molly has been welcome to the world. They are home and they're doing well and we love them and we, um, we, we hope and pray for the best for them. This morning we are going to continue in our sermon series on 1st and 2nd Thessalonians entitled, Until He Comes. From the beginning of our series um, in Thessalonians, we have communicated the entire theme of these letters is teaching Christians how to live life until Christ returns, until He comes. And so we finished walking through the first letter to this congregation of believers a few weeks ago, and now we're ready to begin in 2 Thessalonians. So I invite you to turn with me to 2 Thessalonians now. And uh, as we work through this letter, we're going to see a couple of things. And I want us to pay close attention to uh, these things because we are going to uh, get a further glimpse into both the life of the author of this letter, as well as the recipients of this letter. We're going to see further into the life of these believers who were experiencing immense persecution. They were experiencing relentless attacks. They were experiencing uh, oppression, marginalization. They, they, were, they were outcast in their community because of their faith in Christ. And they some were even... Uh, experiencing death because of their faith in Christ. But as we look into their life, we'll also see not only evidence of persecution, we'll see an evidence of their faith growing, their love abounding, their gospel witness flourishing. And this is a beautiful picture uh, of God's grace and His work in the life of the church. But not only do we see the recipients, we're also going to see into more fully into the heart of a pastor who sees the great needs of his church, the great need of the church to be encouraged by the gospel, to be to be uh, for God to be praised by the work of the gospel in their life, and also to be reminded of the great hope of the gospel, a day when Christ will return and make all things new. So as I was beginning to study for this, I asked myself a, a question. It's like, why another letter? 
We just went through the first letter. Paul addressed some issues, and he was helping them and teaching them how to endure, how to persevere in the face of persecution. And he loved this church, and they were growing, and he exhorted them to love each other. He prayed for them to love each other. He prayed for their faith, and he exhorted them to continue to trust in Christ. But why another letter? And what we'll see here is that the reason why Paul wrote this second letter is that persecutions have increased. Suffering has intensified. Deception is encroaching. We'll see this in chapter 2. Idleness was taking root. And Paul wrote this letter for these and many other practical and pastoral purposes. And ultimately, he is continuing this theme. He is continuing this theme of teaching and preparing believers for faith-filled endurance until Christ comes again. This is the message of hope in 2 Thessalonians, and it is the message of hope for us today. As we journey through this letter together, we will see once again Paul bookend, bookend this letter with the blessed hope of Christ's return and the divine blessings of grace and peace to you, the church of Jesus Christ. Over the next three weeks, we're going to be in chapter 1, where we're going to see uh, three things, really. We're going to see a thanksgiving of God's grace. That's where we're going to be this morning in the first four verses of chapter 1. We're going to see a thanksgiving for God's grace. And then we're going to see a defense for God's justice. And then finally, we're going to see a prayer for God's glory. And we're going to walk through this. And what I want us to do this morning, I want us to read all of chapter 1 just to help us get a sense and a feel of what Paul is trying to communicate. And then we're going to We're going to come back to the first four verses and we're going to see a thanksgiving for God's grace. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of Thessalonians and God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, Because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and the afflictions that you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to those who are afflicted, as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction, away from the presence of the Lord, and from the glory of His might. When He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints, and to be marveled at among all who have believed, because our testimony to you was believed. To this end, we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of His calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by His power, 
so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in Him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So what I want us to do is look back. We're going to read again the first four verses and then we're going to dive into uh, to this, this letter. And what I want us to do is we're going to see basically four things in these first four verses uh, regarding this, this um, beginning uh, message of thanksgiving regarding God's grace. Paul, Savanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians and God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. So in this first verse, what I want us to see is very important. We see a very familiar greeting, right? If you've read any of Paul's letters, you see a familiar greeting. And it's also very familiar and almost identical to the greeting that Paul shared in his first letter. The gre- this greeting is full of truth about God. It is full of truth about God and it is profound for our spiritual growth and perseverance until Christ comes again. What we know about Paul is that Paul did not write to just write. Every word that Paul shared was profound. We believe that Scripture is inspired by God. And every word that we're going to read today, and every word that we're going to look into today, is profound for you and I. It is profound for our spiritual growth and perseverance until Christ comes again. So what I want us to ask about this first verse is, what do these verses teach us about God and the church? What do these verses teach us about God and the church? And what we're going to see here is in verse 1 and 2, we are going to see the source of Paul's thanksgiving. We're going to see the source of Paul's thanksgiving. What do they teach us about God? First, let's look at verse 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The first thing it teaches us about God and the church is that God is our Father. Now, this is a little different if you flip back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, in verse 1, where Paul greets this church again when he says, in God the Father. But if you look at 2 Thessalonians, it's very similar, but just a little bit different. He says, in God our Father. And then he repeats that again in verse 2 when he says, from God our Father. And I think this is very important for us today. It is profound for our spiritual growth because what Paul is pointing to and what Paul is pointing the church to is that the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is our Father. The phrase God the Father in Thessalonians 1 draws attention to the unique relationship that the Father has with the Son. The Father is the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is His Son. 
and it draws attention to the truth about the triune God. That, that Jesus is God. But when he says here, God our Father, he is doing something even more profound. He is doing something, uh, he's, he's leading this church to a deeper truth. He is doing, he's saying something so profound for these believers in the church today. You, church, have a heavenly Father. That heavenly Father has adopted you, has your own. He is your Father. You have a heavenly Father that not only has adopted you, but loves you. He cares for you. He loves you so much, church. And you know what? You also have a heavenly Father who not only only adopted you and loved you, but never fails you. He never fails you. There's not one moment in your life that God lets you down. And also, you have a Father that will keep you forever. Church, to the church of Thessalonians, in God our Father. (coughs) Excuse me. He is your Father, church. You have been adopted. You have been loved. You have been cared for. He is working for you. He is keeping you. He is your Father. What else do these verses teach us about God and the church? Not only is God our Father, but Jesus is our Lord and Savior. Look at what In God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The, the words Lord Jesus Christ are very important. These, these words, these three words, Lord Jesus Christ, are very important. And there is a world of theology packed into those three names, those three <coughs> words. In this greeting, Paul is reminding the church that Jesus is fully divine. He is Lord. He is Yahweh. He is Jehovah. He is God. He is fully God in every way that the Father is fully God. In every way that the Spirit is fully God. Jesus is fully divine. So once again, we see the, the, uh, <coughs> the Trinity The triune God and the teaching of that permeate this verse. But also Paul is reminding the church that Jesus is our one and only Savior. That God provides. God provides the way of salvation through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Paul is reminding this church of the truth that God saves. He is our Father who saves. And that salvation can only be found in Christ alone. To the church of Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What else do these verses teach us about God and the church? God is our Father, Jesus is our Lord and Savior, and the church is united to the Father through the Son. Paul reminds the church that if you're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You are united With the Father, through Jesus Christ. So what did that mean? Why is this so important for this church? Why is this so profound for the church today? That no matter what you're going through, no matter how intense the persecutions, no matter how marginalized you feel, no matter how much of an outcast that you may feel, remember that you are the church in God, in Christ. This is profound. 
This is profound for you because this is the source of Paul's thanksgiving. This is the source of Paul's thanksgiving. Remember what Phil said about this when he preached from 1 Thessalonians. He said this, Union with God gives hope to our dwelling with God forever and guarantees our inheritance with God forever. We are in Christ. We are in Christ. What else does these verses teach us about God and the church? He is our Father. Jesus is our Lord and Savior. We are united to the Father through the Son. And also that God is the source of the divine blessings of salvation. God is the source of the divine blessings of salvation. To the church of the Thessalonians and God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord of Jesus Christ. Not only are we in Christ, but we experience the great salvific divine blessing of grace and peace that only comes from God. Paul reminds the church that everything that is needed to live this Christian life is supplied. Grace and peace to you. Everything that is needed. Where does it come from? From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What is supplied? They supply everything we need. Grace. By grace you have been saved. And peace, peace with God forevermore. Peace in our hearts. That no matter what is going on around us, no matter the persecutions and trials and tribulations we face because of the gospel, we have great peace in our hearts. You see, grace is, is, is so important for us to understand. Grace is both pardon and power. That's why it's everything that we need. Grace and peace. It is both pardon and power. We need both of these things every day to live the Christian life. We need forgiveness and we need strength. We need pardon and we need power. Every day we sin, every day we need forgiveness. Every day we need strength for the Christian life and God's grace supplies it. God's grace and peace is provided for us and what Jesus has done definitively on the cross. He is the source of thanksgiving. Don't miss the important, profound truth of this greeting in this letter. Because what we're going to look at is just this, this message of thanksgiving the rest of our time uh, this morning. This message of thanksgiving. But we must understand what the source of our thanksgiving and where it comes from. It comes from our relationship that we have with the Father, through the Son, through that Son's work on Calvary. That is the source of our thanksgiving. You want to worship God more? You want to be thankful more? You want to live uh, and to a life that honors God and glorifies God? Then think about the Gospel. Think about who you are in Christ. Think about all the wonderful grace and peace that flows to you from the Father through the Son this morning. And let it well up in you a heart of thanksgiving. And you'll see that the source of all thanksgiving comes from God and the Lord Jesus Christ. As we move on through this letter, not only do we see the source of Paul's thanksgiving, 
we also see the object of Paul's thanksgiving. In the first part of verse 3, I'll read all of verse 3, and then we're going to go back to look at like verse 3a. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. He says, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right. Here in verses 3 and 4, what we see is Paul's first concern for the church. He greets them. So we're writing these things to you. You see the source of that, that thanksgiving. His, his first concern for the church, his first concern for this letter is to give thanks to God. To give thanks to God. God is the object of His thanksgiving. There are problems in the church. This is not a perfect church. There, there are trials that this church are facing. They are issues for Him to address. But Paul, what we see here, is Paul has a joyful desire, a joyful desire to thank God for what He is doing in the lives of the Thessalonians. And in this first part of verse 3, Paul really emphasizes three things. Paul was thankful for these believers, but it's important for us to see that, number one, the object of Paul's thanksgiving was God Himself. We ought always to thank who? To thank God. The direction of Paul's thanksgiving is to God. You see, the direction of his thanksgiving is to God because Paul understood the source of his thanksgiving. When he looked at the grace of God and the peace of God, he knew who he needed to thank. He was thankful for this church, but he was first and foremost thankful to God. It is the thankfulness for what God is doing in the Thessalonians, but this thankfulness is being expressed to God. This is so important for this church and it's important for this church today because it makes it clear that Paul knows that the details of the thanksgiving, the substance of the thanksgiving is a direct result of God's work in their life. It wasn't just something that the Thessalonians were doing. They just weren't simply enduring. They weren't simply believing. They weren't simply loving. Paul attributed all of those things to God working in their life. He was the object. He was the source. He was the one that was growing. He was the one that was working. It was God's work. Paul is reminding this church of a familiar, important truth that he states in Romans 11, 36. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. So here Paul is teaching the church that our attitude, that the attitude of the Thessalonians, that our attitude should consistently be when the evidence, evidences of God's grace, when the substance of God's grace, when the content of God's grace uh, uh, are, are in our life, we say, God you deserve all the credit. God, you deserve all the praise. It is not me. It is Christ in me. This is the, God should always be the object of our thanksgiving. Not only does Paul emphasize that God is the object 
of the thanksgiving. But also Paul emphasizes the necessity for thanksgiving to be present in the life of the church. The necessity for thanksgiving to be present in the life of the church. He says we ought always to give thanks to God. What is Paul saying here? He's saying that it's not just that he's delighted to give thanks or that he wants to give thanks. He is saying he ought to give thanks. He should give thanks. That he is obligated to give thanks. That it's necessary for him to say thank you God for work of grace and peace in these believers' lives. Paul is teaching us here that Lord, whatever good things you brought in my life, I did not deserve it. It was your gift. And because of your gift, therefore I am under obligation to say thank you Lord. Listen, we will never be thankful if pride is present in our life. And when we understand that the source of our thanksgiving is the gospel, that we were destined for hell, that we deserved God's wrath and judgment, but God in His love sent His Son to live the life that you and I could not live, to die the death that we deserve, to take on the full wrath of God in our stead, to die that death on the cross, to shed His blood so that we could be forgiven of sin, and then to defeat death and rise again so that we could have hope, not only for this life, but forevermore. And that He would ascend to heaven and make Advocacy for us, even today. When we realize that, it humbles us. And we say, God, thank You. Thank You. And it's not that we uh, uh, begrudgingly say, God, thank You. It's that we are filled with joy. And our desire is a, is a humbling, Spirit-filled obligation to say thanks. This is where Paul is. He is under this joyful sense of obligation to to show thankfulness, to express thanksgiving, to give praise to God, to show gratitude for what He is doing and has done. And this is so important for us in living the Christian life. We ought to be thankful. He is saying, church, be thankful. God's grace has come to you. It is working in you. But not only does Paul emphasize that thanksgiving is is necessary for the life of the church, but he also emphasizes that thanksgiving is fitting for the life of the church. What he's saying is right. He says, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right. Paul's using some strong language in in this verse here. He is saying that it is right for you and I to attribute the generous, beautiful, and continual gift of God's grace and peace in our lives to God alone. That gift that we receive, that gift of salvation that permeates everything in our life, that not only changes our heart, but continues to change our heart, and one day will finally be complete and stand before God, 
when our faith turns to sight, that we say, God, it is from You and it is right for me to say thank You. Paul is saying, it is right for me to feel this way. When I see God's grace in your life, it is right for me to say thank You, God. He's not only the source, but He is and the object, but He's also the object of all thanksgiving. Leads us to the third point as we look to the second part of verse 3. What is the substance of Paul's thanksgiving? So he showed us the source, which is God our Father, being unified in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, receiving grace and peace from God our Father, realizing that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. And we give thanks for that. He is our object from that. But specifically, what is the substance of Paul's thanksgiving? We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. The substance of thanksgiving. What Paul is thankful for here is the evidences of God's graces in the life of the people of this church. And it's not just the evidence of Christian graces. It's the fact that they are growing in those graces. And particularly, notice that he thanks God for two things. That they are growing in faith, and they are increasing in love. That they're growing in faith, and they're increasing in love. Flip back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12. 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 12. Paul is praying a prayer right here. In verse 12, he asks the Lord for something for this church. He says, May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. Paul prays for this church to love More and more. Specifically, he says, may your love increase for one another and for all. More and more. Increase. Abound. Now look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 10. Chapter 4, verse 10. Not only did he pray for them to love more and more, but he also exhorted them. When he says, the last part of verse 10, but we urge you, or we exhort you, brothers, to do this more and more. What is it that they're doing? Go back to verse 9. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that is indeed what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, we exhort you, Grow in it. Do it more and more. What we see here is we see a a pastor's heart in this second letter. A pastor's heart that is full of thanksgiving. And it is full of thanksgiving because God is working a work of grace in their life. For God's working of grace. These believers had listened to this exhortation and God had answered His prayer. Paul is saying every single one of you is showing love 
to somebody else. Every single one of you is showing love to everybody else. And it makes this pastor's heart sing with thanksgiving. And I think it would be wise for us just to take a moment to step back and think about how God has answered this prayer. Think about how God has answered this prayer. Every member of this congregation is experiencing the depths of God's love through the work of grace in each of their lives. Each member of this congregation was being loved and was loving. They were not perfect in that. I know they were not. But they were abounding in it. They were growing in it. And God had answered that prayer. This is a church that is enduring. This is a church that is growing. And it is growing because the source of their endurance is the Gospel. The source of their endurance is God and His work in their life. And I believe that, that this right here, this, this, um, this should reveal a priority for us today. Is this what we really want in our own life? This is just my meditative thoughts about that. Do, do I really want to grow in faith? Do I, do I really want love to abound? Do I want every person around me in Redeemer Church to be loved by me? And for me to be loved by them? Is this really what we want for ourselves? And is it expressed in our prayers? Do we really want for ourselves and for our others around us to experience the beauty of God's grace and peace that causes us to grow in faith and love? Pastor Ben, do you want that for this church? I know you do, and you pray for it. Church, do you want that for each other? We need to press into this. We need to look at this as example. We're going to talk more about that later. But we need to look at this example of a pastor who sees God's grace, is so thankful for God's grace in her life. He is so thankful that it is working. And God has answered his prayer. That, that, that God is supplying everything that they need for life and godliness. What do we really care about? I don't want to. I, I don't want to sidetrack too much from this, but I, I think a lot about my life, and I think a lot of times how discontentment comes in my life. It kind of ebbs and flows, you know. Sometimes I'm happy because of what happens, and sometimes I'm not happy because of what happens in my life. And and a lot of times when I don't get what I want, I'm discontent, you know, because that's not what I wanted. This is a means of God's grace to us, and almost. In some sense, when we understand the substance of thanksgiving, we understand what really matters is growing in faith and love and hope, persevering in the gospel, 
that discontentment goes away. We realize that everything has been supplied to us and is being supplied to us through God and by God and for God. It makes the things of this world grow strangely dim and the light of His glory and grace. What do we really care about? What are we really thankful for? Parents, what are you, what are, are you praying this for your kids? Think about that. I mean, I want my kids to be successful. I want them to be happy. But I want my prayer to be, God, grow them. Grow them in You. Pour out Your grace and peace on their lives so they may know You and may grow in the grace and knowledge of You and help them to love like crazy. Help them to be like You. You see, what Paul is thankful for is actually guiding our priorities and helping us navigate through life here. He looks at this church and he says, Lord, they're growing in you. They're growing to trust you. They're trusting in your promises. They're believing in your gospel. They're they're trusting the Lord Jesus Christ in the midst of these increased persecutions. These relentless attacks. This oppressive work that is being done in their lives where they've been pushed to the outskirts. Nobody wants to have anything to do with them because of their faith. They're struggling to make ends meet and provide for their family because they believe in the gospel. But they're trusting in you. They have faith. And Paul says, praise God for that. Praise God that they are growing. Praise God that they are loving. So we see the source of Paul's thanksgiving. We see the object of Paul's thanksgiving. We see the substance of his thanksgiving. That that faith and love are growing and flourishing. And then finally he closes in verse 4 with the encouragement of thanksgiving. It says, Therefore we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith and all your persecutions and the afflictions that you are enduring. In verse 4, Paul seeks to affirm and encourage the church by sharing with them the results of God's grace, work of grace in their life. The result of their faith growing and their love increasing. One, their their growing faith and their increasing love have become an example and encouragement to all believers. He says, we boast about you. We boast about you. Now this can be a little conflicting when we read this. We boast about you. And here's what we need to do. We need to let the context of this passage help us with what Paul is doing here. And boasting about the faith and love of these believers, what he is actually doing is boasting in the Lord. Because he's already said that it is in Christ and from Christ. It is, we are in God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. We, we, the source of all thanksgiving is God. The object of all thanksgiving 
is God. The substance of all thanksgiving is from God. And so the encouragement an example that they are to all the believers throughout Macedonia, through all the churches. When Paul walks in, he doesn't say, man, look at that church. He says, look at God working in that church. They are faced with persecutions, but God, by His grace, is helping them to grow in faith, to helping them endure persecutions and to love each other well. Let the context help us with this passage. Excuse me, I'm sorry. Paul is both thanking God for His grace and at the same time boasting about God's work of grace in their life. But also, their growing faith and their increasing love not only provides an example and encouragement for other churches and other believers, it also enables them to persevere in persecution, to endure infliction. Paul is looking at this Thessalonian church that's already experienced great persecution and affliction. And you know what he's saying? He's saying here, you've been steadfast. You've been faithful. That word faith in there, in that verse 4, actually could be translated faithful. You are clinging to Christ. You're holding on to Jesus. People say you're stupid and you're silly. You're wrong. Your religion is crazy. This is not what we were taught. This is not what our ideals would say. You're outcasts in this society. But Paul is saying you're holding on to Him. You're trusting in Him despite those afflictions. You're not giving up. You're not turning back. You're not rejecting. And this leads Paul to the encouragement of thanksgiving. He wants to see these believers endure. This is an important message for us, church, and it sets the tone for our continued uh, um, theme of these letters to this church. Which is also the theme of Jesus' teaching while on this earth. In this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you'll have trouble. In this world, you'll have trials and you'll have tribulations. But what are two things that Jesus teaches? One, Don't let your hearts be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. There is great hope for you today because Jesus is preparing a place for you. This life is not all that there is. This is only a momentary affliction. We are just passing through And one day, we will be made complete. Jesus will make all things new. Do not let your hearts be troubled, church. Believe in Jesus. In this world, you'll have troubles. Do not fear. Jesus has overcome this world. There is nothing outside 
of Jesus' sovereign hand. He has promised to keep you and sustain you and love you to the end. And He will do just that. As you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you do not have to fear no evil, for God is with you. His rod and His staff will comfort you. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. In this life will be difficulty. But do not fear, for I am always with you. I am always with you. Let the teaching of Jesus and this message of thanksgiving fill your heart with great hope, great faith, and great, great desire to love. Four applications for us to consider in closing. How can we, how can we respond to the truth about who God is How do we respond to the truth of this passage? That that God is the source of our thanksgiving. He's the object of our thanksgiving. He is the ultimate substance of our thanksgiving. And, And He and the gospel is our encouragement to live lives of thanksgiving. One, we must meditate on the truths of the gospel. Do not miss this church. Meditate on the gospel. Do you know Him today? Do you know Jesus Christ? Do you know the pardon and the power of His grace? If you do not believe in Him today, turn away from your sin and yourself and cling to Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Him. You will be discontent for the rest of your life. If the gospel is not real to you. Christian, you will forget that you've even been forgiven. If the gospel is numb to you. Meditate on the truths of the gospel. Because it is the source of your thanksgiving. This morning, thank God for the fruit of the gospel in your life. And in the life of the others. The fruit of the gospel. That work of grace and peace and love and hope. The work of patience and goodness and kindness and self-control. Thank God for that in your life. Third, pray for the growth of the gospel in our church. Do you love Redeemer? Do you love the church of Jesus Christ, you love the church that God has placed you in, then pray for her growth. Pray that she would believe. Pray that she would love. Pray that she would have great hope until He comes again. Pray for your church. And finally, affirm and encourage each other in the Gospel. If you see it working, 
Go up to somebody and say, thank, I thank God for you. I thank God for you. I want to close with this. This week I ran into uh, a familiar face. And in running into this familiar face, we were talking about life. And he were asked about Redeemer Church. Very familiar with Redeemer Church. He asked about Redeemer Church. He said, you know, uh, we are growing and we are loving, and we are learning, and we are seeking to thank God for all our life. And he says, you know what? There's an individual at that church, and I just want to testify of God's working in his life. He is a great example to me. He loves the Scriptures. He's serious about God. And he's been a blessing to the church of Jesus Christ. He was affirming and encouraging me by testifying of God's grace working in somebody in this church. I thank God for that. Let us seek to be encouragers. Let us seek to affirm the work of grace and peace in the life of each other. We need each other. And we need those words of affirmation. And we need those words of encouragement. Because we need to endure to the end. And that is God's grace to us by giving us this local church, that we have each other so that we may glorify God with our lives, that we might find great joy in our believing and great hope in our loving and our perseverance and our hard work to the end. Let us pray. And then we'll sing. Lord, we thank You. We thank You for Your Word. And we thank You for your gospel coming to us, saving us, changing us, keeping us until you come again. God, may you bless the reading and the preaching of your word, and may your Holy Spirit continue the work of grace and peace in the life of Redeemer Church. In your name we pray, amen.